0: Well, when we come and look at Revelation 10 and 11, I'm going to be talking about uh, chapter 11 specifically. One may wonder what relevance this has to us as we sit here uh, trying to focus our minds upon the Lord Jesus and, and His death and our response to that. And, you know, there is a connection. There is a connection. And the connection is this, that all through these descriptions here in Revelation about persecuted believers, because that's what all these chapters are really talking about, about God's people, be it Israel, be it his His uh, believers, the his, uh, spiritual Israel uh, it's talking about them being persecuted, and so many of these descriptions of that persecution are shot through with reference to the crucifixion and the sufferings of Jesus and No matter how you want to interpret Revelation, whether you see it as uh, talking about the suffering of the Jews and the the church in the lead up to AD 70, the uh, three and a half year tribulation that that seemed to happen there from uh, halfway through AD 66 up to AD 70, or whether you want to look at it as persecution ongoing over the centuries at the hands of, for example, the Catholics, whether you want to look at it as a future persecution of the believers or, or of Israel or the hands of some future superpower, that doesn't, in that sense, matter. The The essence that I want to bring out is that all these descriptions of the sufferings of God's people are shot through with reference to the crucifixion because during those sufferings, God's people thereby come to, to know The crucified mind of Jesus. Remember in Colossians Paul talks about how he's trying to fill up that which is lacking of the sufferings of Jesus in his his body, in his life. And I think what he means by that is uh, that he realizes that if we are to indeed rise again with Jesus and live eternally with him, to live the resurrection life with Jesus, it follows that we must also suffer with him. And this is why I think Jesus suffered so much, so that none of us, none of us could ever say that there is nobody who knows how I feel. That in the end, he suffered as he did, so that every single one of us can, in our sufferings, find something common with him there. That's why his death on the cross was such an... Well, intense isn't even intense enough a word. It's why it was such an intense, let's say, experience. Because there he tasted death for every man. There he tasted, uh, he experienced, as it were, humanity for every single one of us. So that none of us can say, he doesn't know how I feel. And that means that his range of feeling must have been so wide... With all the ability to have that range of feeling that I suppose went with being the son of God and not simply uh, someone of a human father and a human mother. He was the son of God as well as the son of man. Let's, let's remember that. And I think maybe that enabled him to have that, that breadth of, of experience, that, that breadth of feeling, so that it could, as it were, encompass, encompass us all. And that's why that in all our sufferings that we might go through, be it at the hand of persecution, be it in in whatever way, we are being consciously led to some point of contact with him there. And that's why it's absolutely right that we should break bread. That's why it's absolutely right that every now and again, once a week, let's say, we should just stop and think about him there and look at our own lives and see the points of contact between our lives and His our sufferings and His so that we might take comfort but actually it doesn't just finish there it's not just an interesting parallel it is the basis of our new life because we're living out a program that God has designed for us that we also if we suffer with Him we'll also live with Him so then here in Revelation 11 you've got uh, the description of of the sufferings of uh, God's witnesses and I want to bring out the the connections with uh, the crucifixion of, of Jesus and in fact your homework and I like to set homework as you know your homework really is to look at the rest of Revelation particularly the passages that talk about the persecution and suffering of the believers at the hand of the beast and see the connections with the sufferings of Jesus. But let's just do it here in chapter 11. Okay, verse 2. It talks about how the holy city should be trodden on the foot 42 months or three and a half years. The holy city. Now, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-three talks about Jerusalem. This is in the context of the crucifixion as the holy city. Let's, uh, let's go on. Um, verse Verse 8, you've got these dead bodies lying in the streets of Jerusalem. And then, verse 9, the dead bodies being on display. And the, the bodies aren't put in graves, verse 9. Well, that's Matthew 27:52. You remember when Jesus died, there's the earthquake. And it seems that what happened was that the graves were opened. And I would argue they were graves of recently deceased people. And the, the corpses were kind of on display and then and were not in graves and yet, when Jesus rose from the dead, they just got up and started walking around in Jerusalem and appearing to people who presumably had known them. So this is exactly really what happened uh, with this, this strange thing about the, uh, the graves opening. Now it says that they wouldn 't uh, verse nine that they wouldn 't allow their dead bodies. Uh, to be laid in a tomb. That is, I think, language that would have been understood as relevant to crucifixion victims, because typically they just took those bodies from Golgotha to Gehenna. that that was the whole shame of crucifixion, that your body was just thrown away. It was the body of a criminal. Nobody wanted to bury it, so it was simply thrown away into into Gehenna. And I think that's incidentally why there was, uh, because of the shame of that, I think that's why Joseph Adam Adam, Adam, of really didn't want that to happen and, and begged the body of Jesus, which was most unusual because the body of a criminal was, kind of a despised thing and was just thrown out there without uh, a tomb, without a grave into Gehenna and so the idea that their bodies, the bodies of these witnesses who are suffering um, are not allowed to be put in, in a grave they're not buried you know, to the first century mind that meant, aha, uh-huh, they're crucifixion victims uh, let's go on then verse 16 when uh, all this happens, the 24 elders fall upon their faces and worship God but we've met the 24 elders earlier in Revelation, in chapter 4, verses 4 and 10 in chapter 5, 6, 8 and 14 where it seems as I understand Revelation 4 and 5 that when Christ died or when he ascended to heaven the 24 elders fell down in worship for what he'd achieved by his death and here they fall down in worship when there's all this persecution going on. So, I, I see, again, uh, the implication that this persecution of the believers is, in a sense, a living out of the uh, the crucifixion sufferings of, of Jesus. Uh, verse 11, Great fear suddenly comes upon the persecutors of the saints, just as it did... On those who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, that's Matthew 28 verse 4, and then of course verse 12 they ascend to heaven in a cloud. Now that's clearly what happened to Jesus, and then verse 13 that there's this great earthquake. Well, there was an earthquake at the crucifixion. It's Matthew 27:54, and it concludes verse 19 with the temple being opened in heaven. that's clearly the uh, the veil being rent at the crucifixion, Matthew 27:51. Now. All those connections and echoes let 's say of what happened to Jesus in his sufferings, his death, his resurrection, and in his ascension they 're not sort of chronological they 're not sort of neatly chronologically alluded to, for example uh, verse nineteen the uh, the veil is rent in the temple, and yet you know, that 's an allusion I said to the, uh, the the veil being rent in the temple. Um, and yet the idea of ascending to heaven in a cloud is actually alluded to in some verses before that. Now, that isn't a problem to me. That sort of makes sense, because our lives are not neatly chronological. And the point is that in the course of our lives, we are being uh, connected with, consciously connected with, by God's program for us, the, the sufferings of Jesus, the experiences of the Lord Jesus. Not, not as I say in a neat chronological uh, progression. But this is how God is working. To intertwine our lives and our fate and our destiny. With that of the Lord Jesus. And this is this bigger hand in our lives. That's far bigger than what we can perceive. That is working like this all the time. And so just be on the lookout for that, and don't be surprised that you suffer, it's through much tribulation that we shall enter God's kingdom, because this is God's plan salvation is in Christ and it's not just baptism that makes us in Christ we live that out day by day, by dying and resurrecting again and again with him, his life becomes manifest even now in our mortal flesh now this idea that the sufferings of Jesus are as it were repeated in the sufferings of his people particularly in the tribulation of the last days is actually quite a big theme in in the New Testament <clears throat> I don't really want to get involved in, the, in trying to interpret Revelation 11 but I would say this that I think it must be talking about uh, some persecution of the believers in the last days why I say that uh, is because the end result of of all this is the coming of Christ verse 15 uh, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever and then the 24 elders thank God verse 27 because you have taken to thee thy great power and has reigned and the nations are angry angry, and God's wrath arises against them the time of the dead the time of judgment uh, has come now that must in the end refer to the second coming I, I can't possibly accept that that refers to at the time of Constantine or anything like that, that, that actually sounds bizarre to me that, that's clearly enough the language of the, the second coming if words mean anything, so this whole persecution of these uh, two witnesses and the, the witness they make for 42 months seems to me to be talking about the last days so then we believe that we're living in the last days, whether we are in the final three and a half years I don't know. Let's hope we are. But if we are, times are tough spiritually. And the point is that we are to realize that during this process of of the, the last days, this final tribulation, we are being connected with the three and a half days of Christ's death. Um... That's actually, uh, I suppose, such an obvious connection. I didn't bring it out when we're talking about the uh, connections between Revelation 11 and the uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. That, of course, the dead bodies lie there for three and a half days, which is, uh, of course, very much the uh, situation with with the Lord Jesus. His three days of death. You could even argue that he was not dead for 72 hours. You, you could, uh, depending which. Uh, where you want to look at the, the Sabbaths, the Passover Sabbath or, or not, uh, you, you can actually make a case that he was dead for 72 hours, but, uh, sorry, for, for three and a half days, not uh, 72 hours, but it, that's uh, in passing. Anyway, my point is that these sufferings of the last days are in fact to bring us into full connection with the sufferings of Christ. And again, that is logical, because if we're the last generation, we may well be the only generation that will never see death in other words if Jesus comes in our lifetime then we come to judgment and then we'll go into the kingdom without actually ever dying so it doesn't surprise me that we're going to have it tough because we will have to share then in his uh, crucifixion sufferings so that we might share in in his new life and this just makes Kind of sense that, therefore, we share in his death very strongly in in our experience, in our witness of the last days. Now, there's a, a a lot of connection between the Olivet prophecy and and revelation. And you, you see it really, particularly in the in the seals, which are so so based on all that's written in the on the Olivet prophecy. It's clear to me that. Revelation is a, an expansion upon the Olivet Prophecy that, that must be the case I, I think and for example here we've just read in chapter 11 that they shall, in verse 2 they shall tread the holy city under 42 months I mean these are the very same Greek words about Jerusalem being trodden down of the Gentiles um, so that, that there is a definite, uh, definite connection there uh, and that is going to happen, according to the Olivet Prophecy, in the last days. So then, the whole uh, ideas that you meet in the Olivet Prophecy of um, darkness, earthquake, uh, shaking, etc. This is very much the language of the crucifixion. And Matthew 24, verse 13 uh, says that blessed are those who endure to the end and <clears throat> the, the end of the, uh, the, the the tribulation of the last days and it's the same word used in Hebrews twelve two and 3 about Jesus enduring on the cross the, the sufferings which he endured and Matthew twenty four twenty nine when it talks about the, the tribulation there will be in the last days it's the same word uh, that word translated tribulation that you find in, in Colossians 1 uh, verse twenty-four, talking about the the sufferings of Jesus, uh, Colossians one twenty-four, and he talks about filling up that which is lacking of the afflictions of the tribulations of Christ for His body's sake, which is the church. So then, the tribulation of the last days is, in that sense, the 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 affliction, the uh, the crucifixion tribulation of of Jesus. And when you think about the end of Mark 13, which is Mark's version of the, the Olivet Prophecy, the language and the way it's, it's sort of worded is just full of reference to the, the sufferings of Jesus right at the end in Gethsemane and uh, in his final trials. He says, they shall deliver you up to the councils. Christ was delivered to the Sanhedrin. You shall be beaten. Christ was buffeted. You'll be brought before rulers and kings for a testimony. This is Jesus brought before the chief priests, Herod, Pilate. Brother shall betray the brother. This is Judas, even Peter's uh, denial. Don't turn back to take up your garments. There's definitely an illusion, a connection, let's say. Not an illusion, but a connection with uh, John Mark's uh, linen garment. uh, And not being able to uh, turn back to take it up. False Christs will arise. Barabbas was a false Christ. The sun should be darkened. That's what happened to the crucifixion. Watch and pray. This is Gethsemane. Watch with me. And then at the end of Mark 13. Jesus sort of uh, says. You don't know when your Lord is going to come. And just be careful that he doesn't find you sleeping. That's very much the disciples in Gethsemane. And he gives uh, Four options. He says you don't know if he's going to come at evening, which is when the last supper was, at midnight, which was when they were in Gethsemane, at the cock crowing, as Peter's denials, or in the morning. That's his trial and crucifixion. And just watch out, that's coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. This is, as I say, uh, the disciples in Gethsemane. So then, if we believe that we're in the last days and we have got to go through, therefore, some uh, level of, of tribulation, why why we have to go through that? It is so that we might fellowship the crucifixion sufferings of Jesus to prepare us for his resurrection. Now, even if we are not in the last days, even if we are not that last generation. Okay, but the point is the same, actually. With every life lived at whatever point in in history, that we are being prepared by God and by His Son to share in the immortal nature of the Lord Jesus, to share in His resurrection. And just as you went under the water when you were baptized, and you came up out of the water in resurrection so it is with our uh, fellowship in Christ that we are called to suffer with him and god arranges your life he arranges the people that are in your life the circumstances situations successes failures betrayals etc all of them he arranges so that so that you might find your point of connection With Jesus in his suffering on the cross. Because that is really what we are here for. That we might be in Christ. That our lives and feelings might end up intertwined with his. And so everything is being prepared to that end. And as I say that is why it is good to stop in the midst of life. And look at him there. And to imagine again his sufferings to try in our own minds to to reconstruct it all as far as we can and to see the points of connection with ourselves and as I say I think this could well be particularly relevant to our generation if we believe that we are in the last days this passage here in Revelation as I said it it ends with uh, the second coming and the establishment of of the kingdom and it seems to me that it must uh, therefore be talking about a witness in the last days and uh, I said in verse 2 when the holy city is being trodden underfoot 42 months at this time the two witnesses prophesy 1260 days now 1260 days is 42 months it's it's the same time period and it is 3.5 years and (coughs) this is then the down treading of Jerusalem during what Jesus calls the times of the Gentiles the times of the Gentiles I say is the 42 months, it's the 1260 days, and that is something which I think potentially could have happened in, uh, in the first century. That uh, this witness could have been made during the three and a half years of Jerusalem's down treading. Uh, why I say three and a half years is because uh, Josephus does record that. The specific time of what he calls the imperial engagement against Jerusalem was three and a half years, uh, from halfway through AD 66 uh, up to AD 70, to the final uh, fall of Jerusalem. So, then, that three and a half year period of Jerusalem's suffering and final uh, fall in AD 70 is definitely looking forward to what's going to happen in the last days. So, then, the treading down of Jerusalem I take as being a, a period of time. Uh, I don't see that it ended in 1967, or uh, as has been worked out. um, To to try to take this as 1,260 years, I find uh, completely lacking, because where do you get your start date from? Um, And the connection with the Olivet Prophecy would imply to me that... uh, this has got to be a specific uh, period of time during the last days which is actually going to be a sign to the last generation that they are in the last days so then during that 1260 days or three and a half years down treading of Jerusalem there will be a witness by God's two witnesses and it seems to me that we may well be part of those uh, two witnesses uh, witnessing under persecution and the point is that during all that suffering we will know the mind of the crucified Jesus so that when he comes he will as it were quite naturally go onwards to live his his resurrection life but as I say even if I'm way off beam in my interpretation even if uh, we are not in the last days etc that's not the point the point is that he that shall come will come and that one day the feet of Jesus of Nazareth will again stand on this earth. And you and I will rise again and come before him in judgment. And we will, by his grace, share in his resurrection life. But for that to be a reality, and that is our final destiny, believe me, that is our final destiny, we must in this life, therefore, know him and the power of his crucifixion, as as, as Paul puts it. Um How we know him is, as I say, by this hand of providence, this program that God is working out for us, whereby we come into contact with his feelings, sufferings, and situation around the time of his crucifixion through our daily lives and through our holding out, as it were, both hands to pick up that cross of fellowship with him.